You got your mama's sunshine. You got your daddy's rain. You're like a piece of heaven in a hurricane. Hey there, welcome to this week's podcast. I am Josh once again, and I wasn't here last week, but I'm back from vacation, and I'm here with, today we have a special guest, yep. Hello. Tom Hollenbeck, Hello. and uh, he's a friend of ours, and we work together, and he's a, just a good guy, a really good guy, and mm-hmm. we have Pastor Ron Vietti, and we have Vincent yep. Sierra. Hey. Uh, today we're going to talk about living to make a difference um, in your communities, in uh, life itself. Uh, you're gonna We're going to be talking about... Uh, you know, what can we do to move the needle, right? Vince, you always use that term, yeah. moving the needle. I mean, right. I like that because um, it's not like we're going to make a huge heroic impact every single day, but the things, the little things that we do actually do matter. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, who can we help? Uh, how much can we help? Uh, on the car ride up here, we were actually on the mountain today. Uh, on the car ride up here, we were talking about you know, uh, boycotts and all these different things and how people, uh, you know, want to make an impact with how they spend money. Uh, and, and that's, that's true. You can make an impact doing those things, but today we're going to talk more about, you know, what can we do for the good? When I drive around town, I don't know how it is in your community, but, uh, I see, I live downtown. I see a lot of homeless people. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of need. Um, and it's, it's tough because, um, I have all these filters that I judge through and I'm asking myself, you know, why won't that person, you know, better themselves. But then since then I've learned a lot about, um, you know, mental health and, and the struggles that people go through. And then you get to the point where you're thinking, well, it's such a big problem. What can I actually do about it? And so that's really what we're talking about today. What can we actually do? Well, you know what, Josh, um, I, I don't want to, get us off track right at the beginning right now, but I think what I'm going to share, someone sent this to me today, uh, Jim Cruz sent this to me, and I think it does relate to our subject because uh, as I told the Vegas group this weekend, you know, you've got to have a desire to help people, but I think this might play in somewhat, but it says there was a study, uh, 2009 Center for Biblical Engagement, issued a report that concluded that people who read the Bible at least four days a week experience exponential transformational benefits. They pull 40,000 people from ages 8 to 80. And if I can summarize this, they they said they, they didn't, they weren't looking for some of the information they got. They were kind of surprised. People who read their Bible, first of all, they found out most people are not reading their Bible. Most Christians aren't, or a lot of them aren't. Let's not say most, a lot aren't even reading at all. People who read their Bible one time a week, it had hardly no impact on their lives. People that read it two times a week, very little. Three times, very little. But something magical about four times a week. Hmm. They said it was unbelievable. They, they, they weren't looking for this. It surprised them, the results. But people that, that read their Bible four times a week, it said, uh, uh, this may, let me just read it. The eye-opener happened when Bible engagement reached at least four times a week. A steady climb of impact would have been expected, but that was not the case. The level was basically stagnant over days one and two, with a small bump on day three. But when day four was reached, the effects spiked in an astounding way. The stunning findings included the following. Feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230%. Wow. Four times a week was a magical number in their survey. Mm. And I thought that was just too interesting not to pass along today. Um you know, that, that, that is something that I'm shocked to hear. I, I do believe that one of the reasons we study the Bible is not to make brownie points with God. I've said this over and over in the pulpit. The reason we are really, uh, you know, called mm-hmm. to be in the Word every day is because obedience to the Word produces success. I'm glad you're making and that. And we forget, but let me say, we forget 
we forget the instructions in the Bible. If we don't read them every day, we start forgetting about the things we're supposed to do that makes us successful. Right. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. glad you made that distinction because um, just reading the Bible can, you know, and just telling everybody, well, I read the, you know, I, 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 my cynical side comes up when I hear stories or when I hear studies like that because I think, well, that's the people that are self-righteous and so they are saying like, well, I do this, I read it this many times right. and, and therefore I, and, you know, and so I get kind of, but but the truth is, is I understand from a personal uh, point of view how much um, transformation the scriptures will make on your life if if it's a big if, if you are applying them. And and I think that's a big difference. There's a lot of people that have head knowledge. They understand what it says and they'll tell you, they'll, 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 you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a a talk with somebody and they just start firing, you know, different verses and they've taken the time to, you know, memorize those verses and they've built, you know, some, some sort of ideology around those verses. But then you meet somebody who's just living it. Yeah. You know, a good example uh, for me is, one of the pastors of the church, John Tweed. I just want to blow him up right real quick because during, um, and I think I've already talked about this on the podcast, so forgive me, but uh, during Christmas time, I was building a, uh, I was attempting to build my girls a little playhouse, a little fort. And I asked John, he had a saw. I was like, can you help me cut some boards? And he ended up realizing that I was not fully understanding what I was doing. And so he shows up the day before Christmas Eve and spends all day at my house uh, with his grandson. And I, and I know I've talked to John a lot before, and I know that he's a man who has, has put his life uh, in the hands of God and has put his life, uh, based his life on the scriptures and he's really living it. And there's a big Mm -hmm. difference between somebody like that, uh, then, then they're, you know, then somebody who's just talking a lot or they're, they're not really showing you. Uh, and I love it when you see people like that. And you, you, you know, those people have been transformed yeah. yes. by not just reading, but internalizing and making it a part of their life. Well, Pharisees, they, they were up on scripture a lot. Yeah. A lot. Right. But their lives weren't changed. But I think in, in churches like ours, where I really emphasize one of several reasons why we are to stay in the word is to be reminded of the very things that if we're obedient to, will yeah. bring blessing in our life mm-hmm. and will change our life. And we do know too, and and we don't have time to spend on this, but the Word of God is living. It's yeah. it's, it's living and it's active. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to do things a long time ago, Dad, and, and this is when I was a kid, and uh, you're going to have a better memory of this than, than I did. But uh, when you ran the... We have a little feedback here. Are we okay? We're good, yeah. We're okay. okay. When you ran the college ministry, uh, you would... You'd get the kids together. They'd pray. You'd open up the scriptures. Uh, you say somebody would say, "Hey, I've got this verse in my mind," or "I've been reading this lately," and they would read something. And then that night, you would send everybody out into the community, and they would they would reach out and they would you know try to connect with somebody, a stranger, or somebody. And there was a spiritual side to that, kind of a mystical side to that. Uh, you know, I I remember you guys talking about well, I see a person with a red shirt on, you know, and and that can get kooky really fast, right? That can get dangerous, but um, the, the intentions were good. And I think that as long as the intentions were good, I know I had a moment, a few moments in, in when I led college ministry, we went out and tried to do that, do that stuff. And some of, some of the things were very productive and some of them were just weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they were all done with the right intention. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's funny. I have a story where, um, we were praying in college group and we felt like, we felt like we were supposed to go to university park. And, um, and, 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 and pass out candy to people. Now it's granted, it's like nine o'clock at night. It's dark. And, uh, we all roll Sounds up to suspicious. university park yeah. and, and with we, candy, with yeah. candy, not and, Halloween. And we walk in and there's a, there's a couple young couple and they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're, they're smooching a little bit. You know what I mean? And so we roll up just like a, a mob of us roll up. Hey, you want some candy? Yeah. And it was weird. But then I started thinking about it later and I was like, did we, did we interfere in something that should have been interfered in? Was there something that was going to happen that wasn't good? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what the situation was, you know, but I know that, I know that I felt like God told us to do it and we did it. And you never know what the product is going to be. What you're saying, Josh, is this, and I've always said that there's a fine line between the way we live. And I believe is a legitimate way to live the way the Pentecostal church lived in acts and, and goofiness. I mean, there's a fine line. Yeah. 
For example, you probably didn't hear, you were gone, but uh, the sermon that I preached last in Bakersfield was about walking in the Spirit. And I live in such a way that, you know, uh, I very often uh, give God credit for doing things that maybe He didn't actually do. But when something cool happens in my life, I give Him that credit. But I, at the end, it was very important in the sermon when I said, we got to walk according to the Spirit. And I showed him the way I live, which according to some could be kind of goofy. But I said, if you keep these four rules, you can't be wrong. I said, four rules for walking in the Spirit. Number one, is it in accordance with something I've already been hearing over and over again? Uh, as if huge. God's speaking. Number yeah. two, yeah. does it resonate with my Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit lives within me. But number three, is it something that I'm going to do that will bring glory to God? And four, does it line up with the Word of God? Mm. So those last two alone, if you're going to do something because you're walking in the Spirit, at least you think it's God, you're not sure it's God. But if you take these rules and say, well, even if it isn't God, it's something's going to bring glory to Him, and it does uh, it does agree with the Word of God, then what are you going to, what's going to hurt? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to hurt anything. You know, yeah. it's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that because a while back I decided that I was going to take an action step every time I thought about somebody uh, like I was going to send them an encouraging okay. thought. And I started thinking, okay, well, maybe this is the Holy Spirit leading me, or maybe it's just my mind. I don't know. I really don't know sometimes. It's hard for me to tell. I think the way you do tell is is the Spirit is very um, consistent, right? And there's lots of ways you can tell. But sometimes I just, I'm like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what's it going to hurt? Like you what, said, why not? what is it going to hurt? Why not? I mean, I'm sending somebody an encouraging note. I'm letting them know that I'm thinking about them today. Yeah. And... That is always a good thing. Where it yeah, hurts right? is, is when ultra Pentecostal people say, God told me to do this. Yes. Mm. Very often I'll say, I have a holy hunch I'm supposed to share this with you. Right. Yeah. Well, it's when, uh, and, 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 you know, we, we, we all grew up, uh, even when I was younger, when you were younger, yeah. it was different and it's, we've changed a lot. But I grew up in this world where it was like, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure that people put on you. Like if they say, if they felt really strongly that God said something to them, they would put that pressure on somebody else. And maybe God wasn't saying that to the other person, but they would say, well, God told me this. So it must be, you, well, if you don't hear it, then you're wrong. With you know? hindsight, it's Josh. weird. If you had to go back, look at the 20 times that you felt led, somebody was at least on your heart and you gave him a word. Looking back with hindsight, how many of those times do you think it really was God when you saw the outcome of what you did? Yeah, right. you just don't you just don't know. And well, the thing that's hard too, I think, you know, you have a lot of people that walk around and they'll hear a word from God and they act on it instantly rather than saying, Lord, is this you? Yes. Lord, is this not yes. you? I need to know, you know, cause yes. you know, I've had people give words to me, you know, back, especially back when I was in college and they would give me these words. And I remember thinking, Oh, that doesn't line up with anything that I'm going through. Maybe I'm missing something, but something to also kind of free us up. I think about sometimes is the, the starting out of the apostles, like, we have that famous story where John's walking and, and that person's asking for money. And, G, and, and maybe, maybe he saw Jesus do this. You know, I don't have any money to give to you, but here I do have, you know, stand up and walk. You know, they, they were going off of what they thought the Holy Spirit, going to your four points, Pastor, you know, they were, they were probably checking themselves against Jesus. They didn't have technically like the New Testament to go off of, but they did have Jesus to go off of in lining themselves up. They had the Holy spirit within them. Now they had the savior that they were, that they were around. And I think sometimes, you know, the Bible can mess with people's heads because they go, well, I, I can't do this. I didn't see this done in scripture, but God is trying to lead them into something new, you know, continuing with our point today of how to help the people and in, in, in our community. You know, I think sometimes it is simply just knowing your, your God, knowing, knowing your, your savior and mm -hmm. listening to the spirit. And, and that's where, like you said, Josh, it does get confusing, you know, but, but to your point, act on it as long as it's good, you know, not if it's bad. Right. You know? well, one of my favorite sermons I've done, and I've done a series on it, mm -hmm. uh, is why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I, if it's going to bring glory to God, it's according to the word of God, and I want to do something crazy, why not? <laughs> Well, there's Live also a little bit of there's also know. a bit of self awareness you need to have. I mean, if it's something, so a lot of people have a hard time just figuring out if something is could be damaging to somebody else. Yeah. Okay? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of this stuff when people give words, I think a lot of it when they come and give you a word, a lot of it has to do with them getting some kind of glory out of God. I'm the deliverer of the word, yeah. and I'm getting glory out of this or by they letting feel, you know. Or they feel like they need to do well, it. Well, they and feel it's important. Well, they, 
but I think a lot of it, when people have wrong, wrong intentions, it has to do with them getting some kind of glory of that. God gave them this word for you. Yes. And it's like, yeah. and more so than it actually having to do with the benefit of helping that person. My favorite is when, when people say, you know, uh, God told me I have to tell you this. I used to not like you at all. <laughs> I've had that. I've heard I've that. had people call I've me, but multiple, now it's multiple like a confession. Those. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like uh-huh. they're getting it off their chest. Yeah, a lot of and the that's old, for them, and I receive that. A lot of the sure. ultra-Pentecostal churches, you have people growing giving everybody words. I don't find that to be real scriptural. Very often, the words God gives you is for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, it ruins Pentecostal churches. It's ruined a lot of them. Uh, a lot of people don't want to go back because somebody comes up, I have a word for you. Well, why yeah. don't you just get words for yourself? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying God won't always give a word, but you have to be so careful with that. Uh, I've only seen one person so far that I would term a modern-day prophet, and that was Charlie Garcia. I haven't seen one since. I'm not really expecting to see another one. Well, I mean, for the, this guy for the had most a special part, gift. For the most part, Charlie had a really um, a very sweet spirit, and he would he would yes. just, he was very calm with his words. That's key. And he would he would just blanket him, and he would also kind of say, "I feel like God's telling me this," and then he'd walk away. Yes. It was there was no yeah. pressure, no no pressure, and I think that that was really good. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, talking about we're talking about uh, the Pentecostal side of things and giving words and all these things, but then there's another practical side of helping people. It's yeah. like if if you feel like like. When I'm driving around or walking around, I see so many homeless people and so many people that are in need that it becomes so overwhelming yeah. that it becomes easier for me just to judge okay. that mm-hmm. and say, well, they won't do anything for themselves or they won't you know, help themselves. Why would I help them? Or they've done something to get themselves here. And I think, Josh, it's, it's, a, it's a tendency that all we all have to probably fight against to, you know, take the all of the homeless out there and put them into one category and say they're there because they deserve to be, they're there because they don't want to work. Again, a lot of them have mental challenges and, and, and they're sick, a lot of them, not all of them. And it's not really their fault, some of them. And so I, I, want, to, I want to get into this a little more, but I want to start out on another topic and then we'll get to the homeless. But... Uh, I was watching Dr. Phil, which I do maybe one time a week or two. He was talking about foster uh, care yesterday. And he had a couple guests on his show, two young ladies. I I say one's probably 23 years old. One was about probably 16, 17. I I didn't get their ages. I tuned in late. But cute girls, really nice looking. And one of them, again, forgive me, I got in late. I tuned in late to the show. But one of them said, you know, that I guess they were pushed around or, or they jumped around from foster home to foster home. Finally found one, I guess they thought, this could be the deal. This could be my home. And one day the people came to them and said, you know, uh, really, you don't belong here. We don't want you here anymore. Wow. And to a 14, 15-year-old girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Phil said something I totally agree. He said, if that was my kid, that would kill me. And he did talk about that, you know, a lot of kids in foster care, they could be there for a variety of of reasons. I mean, let's just take one out of the air here and and kind of play with it. Let's say, Vince, that you you died uh, early and and, uh, you died and something happened to Hannah and all of a sudden Lila has no home. Mm. And it was just a weird set of circumstances. And think of if Lila, somebody told her, so you don't belong here anymore. Wow, yeah. This kid has nobody. And 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 Dr. Phil went on, and he, he did some statistics, aging of foster care, and he said 23,000 a year go out of the system. And he said 20% are instantly homeless. 40% are homeless within 18 months. 71% are pregnant by 21, and half of them ended up in foster care. Mm. 80% young men are in jail in just a short time, and 91% immediately enter chronic poverty. Mm. And he went on the show and he said, you know, these kids just want to hear, we matter, we belong, mm-hmm. yeah. we want a tribe. Uh, and, and one religious organization was on there, and they said, we're now really ministered to the, to the foster care kids, and we're setting up homes all over uh, wherever they were at. And they said, each kid gets his own bedroom. And that is huge. Mm. They, they just want to know that I belong 
And if I'm not here, it matters. Mm-hmm. And we've got something to give. And I just want to ask you this question. Is that supposed to bother us? Oh, absolutely. Is that yeah. supposed to bother us? Well, uh, we, we just recently got involved in something really cool um, that I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to be involved in. Um, at the Cal State um, uh, CSUB in, campus, in, yeah. in, in, in Bakersfield, it's the campus in Bakersfield. And I think that they have uh, different um, arms and legs in different areas, but I understand what's going on in Cal State Bakersfield. There are um, foster students that go to school right uh, there. And many of them and other kids as well, uh, they can barely afford to go to school and they can barely afford to uh, live. I mean, they have they have living expenses that go along. And so there are a lot of foster kids that are thrown out of the house at 18 and they don't have a chance. And so there's this organization uh, that's working on campus at Cal State that we're yeah. involved in yep. as a church um, that is helping these kids stay afloat, giving them food, helping that's them so good. Uh, with board, with rent, um, and just helping them. Because think about the, those kids that have gone <clears throat> through the system and it's been very tough, right? Now they're trying to better themselves. They're trying to go get an education. Those are the ones that are trying. And here's, yeah. the, here's the sad thing. I, I, I made a connection between... Um, Kids that are on the fringe that are trying to help themselves in college versus and, and the homeless people, the ones that are trying to better themselves but don't get that extra help, don't get that extra support. Right. You know, where do they go? Where do right. they end where up? Where do they go? Where do they end up? Where do they go? Um, there's nowhere for them to go, and so it's really cool to be a part of that. And um, and so if anybody wants to know about more about that, go yeah. ahead and send me a message on Facebook. And you I'll, know what's so cool about that I'll too? Because we know. talked about the the one. You know, like what do, what does one difference make as our church? And I'm not you know just saying this. To to boast our church, right. but we do this thing called plus one and everybody gives an extra dollar above their tithe, above what they would normally dollar, give. It's yeah. a $1. Right. And just to bring that up, we were able to raise like $3,500 and give a portion of that to that program by just yeah. people just saying we have $1 to give. Right. That's all we have to give extra. Yeah. And that was able to help those foster kids. Well, so like the, the little something things. little. Yeah. But and you know what I love it is in the beginning, difference. you talked about Jim bringing up that scripture and reading the Bible. And if you read it four times a week, but a lot of that has to do as we read into the Bible, as we dive in and you said, should it bother us? If we look at the Bible and we read it and we only self re- you know, reflect and we're only feeling ourselves up and we never look at it in from the eyes of how does this benefit somebody else? And not just by giving them a word, but actually acting upon the word when Jesus says, you know, if, if you, if you love me, then be there for the least of these, be there for the poor, the, you know, the hungry, the widows, the prisoners, all that stuff. Isaiah 58, we talked about right. over the phone. Um, what even before Jesus came on scene, John the Baptist talking about giving to one another if we only look at the scriptures for the fulfillment of ourselves, but not being there for others, well, then yeah, you're going, you're, you won't be bothered. But if you're looking at the scriptures yes. from a heart of Jesus, then you will be very bothered by what let, you let, just Let's shared. illustrate what I said earlier, that we're to read the Bible to be reminded of the things we need to do in order to be blessed. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing devotions today, and we see the verse in John, John, 1 John, John says something, you know, he says, if you have resources and you see somebody need, mm. you tell them, Go, and I'll pray for you. And you don't meet the, their need. He said, mm-hmm. how in the heck does the love of God abide? <laughs> right. He said, yeah. I don't get it. He said, I don't get right. it. Yeah. So when you're reading the word, like if you read that today, that would change your day and change your focus. Mm-hmm. I, I think so, sometimes people don't have, they don't think that they have the resources. Because when I was single and, you know, my life was my own, I, I remember picking up homeless people and taking them to where they needed to go. And I'm not suggesting that I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, you, 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 you do what you can. And, and then where I was at recently, I would see so many homeless people. It would exhaust me to the point where I'm like, you know, I just don't look at them, you know, where I'm currently at, where God has taken me. And this is what I do suggest is treating them like they're human beings yes. rather than a negative to your day, you know? And so what I've done, and this has been true and, and I've got my kids in the car. And so I'm trying to train them to do the same thing. I'll roll the windows down and say, and this is the truth. Like, I don't have any cash on me, but what's your name? What do you need help with? I'm a praying person. Okay. 
I'll pray for, we started building relationships with some of these people. So where now when we see him, there's this one guy named Isaac and my daughter goes, daddy, it's Isaac. Let's mm. talk to him. And we go, Isaac, how's your social security coming? Let us know what's <laughs> going cool. on, you know? That's yeah. Really cool. And when, cause yeah, you don't always have the cash or the water or the thing, right? but you can still treat them like a, no, like a person. Tom, Tom, we have to go back here. We have to. I know this was a spiritual moment for me. If you go on our webpage, you can see me as a homeless person laying outside mm -hmm. the church building. Mm -hmm. And I laid there for three services, I think, that day. And again, I know this was God. But I've got, I, you know, I, I think probably each service I get 20 or 30 waters. I got food. I got a few dollar bills. But again, all of a sudden, something happened to me that I did not expect. And all of a sudden, as laying there, I went, I don't want your water. I don't want your food as much as I want someone. Please ask me where I came from. Mm -hmm. Ask me about my family. Someone please care about me right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And I knew that was a spiritual moment. God wanted me to feel that. Yeah. And, and, and I've even had moments too, you know, back when my wife and I were dating, we, we had a homeless person that we were checking in on on the east side every now and again. And then one day... We didn't see him anymore, and we bumped into another homeless person. We're like, hey, have you seen this person? And they go, oh, this person was stabbed. They're dead. Right. And you're just, wow. well, you have this heart that goes out to him, and all because, you know, like we, not like we adopted him, but we we would check in on him. We, we kind of took care of him, and we've had other moments where we tried to send people back to their families in another state, yeah. and they end up burning us because it was just a big scam, and there's just these, but it doesn't mean you stop. You don't, yeah. you, just because it got difficult doesn't right. mean, right. you know, you just give up. Well, this person represents all of them. That's not true. Right. You know, and looking at them, when you said, I had to compose myself a little bit, because when you talked about that one foster kid, I can't imagine my kids being told, you don't belong here. And that, that I just, I had to come down from my emotions from that one because that's exactly where all of our homeless people are at. That's where all of our foster right. kids are at. You know, when I was in the high school ministry, we had those foster kids and they would mention that a lot of those parents do it just for the money. And so once they age out, they're done. They're done. Right. And it's, it's like, at some point we can't look at, at people who have less than well, as being less than. Well, culturally we've separated and I love that we're talking about this the name of somebody from the thing that we define them as. So if they're a homeless person, it's like, those are the homeless people, or these are these people and that people. And we haven't said, no, 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 that's Timmy. That's you put Tom. a name on them. If you yeah. put a name and yeah. it goes with any, whether they're homeless or they're, um, you know, in foster care, or there's somebody that, you know, maybe the church doesn't agree with because they live their life a certain way. We've separated, you know, we've taken, these people have names. Yeah. And so I'm going back and saying, this is who this person that's is. We've separated That's that. That's the same way with, with world starvation. We just kind of ignore it. Right. But when you hear names, that's Olive. That's mm -hmm. Lila. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you hear names on these children that are dying as we sit here. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, John was, he, he was perplexed. He goes, there's certain things that I can't understand how the love of God lives in you. I really yeah. can't understand mm -hmm. it. Uh, what if, I mean, this is a, a far-fetched thing. What if, Everybody in the church who who could do this would do this. And they took a homeless person to Bakersfield and said, we're going to adopt that person. Or whatever city they're in. I mean, yeah. adopt, when I say adopt them, I say that lightly. I know there's dangers involved. But say, you know, at least once or twice a week, I'll drive down and, and I know he hangs out or she hangs out at and say, hey, do you have a sleeping bag? Winter's coming on. Mm -hmm. Are you Scared, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what yeah. if... What if we really did that? How that would change the yeah. homeless population in Bakersfield? I've been there so many times. Or Vegas, even. I've been there so many times driving and be like, God, send someone to help them. And then God goes back. He goes, what What do you think you're thinking mm -hmm. right now? I sent you, you know? Because so often we want to pass it on to somebody who's more professional, has more money, yep, sure. can do more. More time. Yeah, more. Yeah, because right. I'm on my way to take so-and-so, right. you know, like... We, there was we, a lady, a young lady, um, and she used to hang out um, at the corner right before we get to the church, the uh, Mountain Vernon and uh, mm -hmm. and the freeway, right? Yeah. There. And um, we we befriended her, and she would come to church sometimes, and she ended up dying, and and it, I was just I, I I always thought about that, and I always thought about her, and I always thought like, you know, what if we would have never spoke to her? What if we would have never talked to her? You mm -hmm. know, and and we we hardly gave her anything. We gave her waters occasionally. Um, 
but really it was the, like you said, it was the, it was the personal. So, so I guess this is a good lesson for all of us, right? Yeah. Let's smile more. I, cause I, I don't make eye contact. I'm like, I don't want to, why don't you, why don't you? Yeah. Because I don't want to play. Like, I feel like it's a game. I feel like I'm being scammed a little bit. You know what I mean? Because like, do you think that you'll make eye contact and feel for them and have to help? Or do you think they're going to ask for something? That's yeah. it, Tom. You I, just nailed them. I know, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think <laughs> he's all, huh? <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, let, let's put it this way. I used to, no, I don't even want to say that, but I, 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 I really don't think that, um, that I think of the individual. I think of the entire, uh, mentality. Cause I've been on this, I've been out there and I've talked to people. I've walked up to their camps. I've, sure. I've had conversations with them. Um, and some of them are very kind and very cool. But then when I start talking to them, I'm like, okay, all right. So let's, you don't want to, you want to, I, I will take you right now to this nice new shelter. It's brand new. Like yeah. it's amazing. And they're like, nah, I'm good. And so I I've become a little calloused. I think Got that's, it. that's the, right. that's the, frust- because of your frustration with one person, it's kind of trickled down to other people. It, it I happens, think so. Right? Well, you're but it is a mentality the, though. It is well, a mentality. Well, you're with people talking on the about streets, the, the, um, you know? I think it's good to share the dilution thing, like the idea Di- of dil- the dilution. dilution. Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think yeah. that happens with us when we encounter yeah. these different, um, you know, people like maybe you meet two homeless people and they're great. And then you feel like you're being advantage of taking advantage right. from some other people. And, and, and just so you guys know what I'm talking right, about, yeah, the yeah. dilution effect is um, if you encounter four different people, four different homeless people, for example, and uh, three of them are bad, one's good. You you won't say uh, you won't think, well, there's good homeless people out there. Right. You'll think, well, there's three, three fourths out of homeless people are, 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 have bad intentions and, and right. that's, your, your and mind your will mind average out all the experiences. Right. And so it's important. I think Jesus is a perfect example because there are people obviously that he walked by, but at the end of the day, the people that he knew he, he was supposed to connect right. with, he did. And, right. and I think that's what it comes to. I, I don't think you can save the world necessarily. I think that we're called to listen and obey, right? But I'm a big advocate of walking in the spirit. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you guys do this. I do this all the time. I'm at a stoplight, there's a homeless person, immediately I go into prayer mode. And I go, Father God, do you want me to help this person? Mm-hmm. Lord, is this? I, I, I do that every single time. I'm going, and very often I'll say, Debbie, we got to turn around and go back. Why? God said we got to help mm. this person. And I do sometimes, but if uh, I'm honest, if I'm honest, it's overwhelming. There's so many people. Just yeah. take one at a time. Just but, one uh, at a time. There is one guy by my that house. One. Yeah. Uh, that, that. Well, you know, I want to tell you a couple stories here, but you know what? Uh, I was in Vegas, and you probably remember this, at least hearing about it. And we used to have a, uh, in our Vegas church, we had a, 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 a ministry down at the mission on Sunday. And uh, I saw somebody praying with two homeless guys. Uh, one was uh, a black brother, and one was a white brother. And uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, God moved in my heart. And I went up and started talking to them. and my heart really got moved toward these guys. They look like they really want to do right. And so I said, guys, I said, I'm going to take you home with me to California. Mm-hmm. And when your mother heard this, she was pulling at my arm. Come here, come here, come here, come here. She says, you're not taking them home with us. I said, yeah, I am. You're not. We don't know these guys. We're not putting them in our car. So I said, okay, I understand. I think I'm hearing God on this, but I understand. So I went over and I said, here, give me some money, Debbie. I'm going to give them money for bus tickets to come to, to Bakersfield, to California, because I feel like I'm supposed to help these guys. So I went over and handed it to them, and then she looked at me and says, okay, fat chance you're ever going to see that money again. Do you really think they're going to show up in Bakersfield? I said, yeah, they're going to show up. They got, they're going to get bus tickets for that money and show up. Doggone if they didn't. They both showed up. Wow. And one's name was Tom, and me and Tom touched on that. They were trying to think of the other guy's name. And they showed up, and, of course, I got burnt. The first night I put them in a hotel, Went to pick them up. Somebody said they watched X-rated movies all night long. And the hotel was in my name. I just had a tizzy fit. Uh, But long story short, we worked with those guys. Mm. Now, how did this turn out? We gave them a a big part of our life for several months. And I know there was a big turnaround in their life. Are they still living it today? I've heard that one, I heard one of them is. But Josh, when we started uh, our church, we, we started out in a Quonset hut and then we moved there to a storefront building. And there was a guy, and I was thinking about him today, and I, God, I think it was God. I attribute so much to God. All of a sudden, his name came into my mind. Mm. He was Bert, and he was probably an older homeless guy, about 60 or 70. And he took a liking to me, and he said, said, I feel like God has made you my son. Mm. And he would come by the church every day. He slept in the back because he wanted to be close to me. 
and he would talk to me, give me wisdom. And this guy, I mean, we'd go, we'd walk down and get coffee together. And uh, he, he really, really felt like he needed to, to think that I was his son for some reason. Now, I don't know what happened to this guy, but I like to think that the few months I spent with him changed his life. Maybe and so it's the starfish effect again. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, who's Taking that, him one at a time. Who's that elderly gentleman in Vegas who you guys Ted. kind of adopted? Ted, Ted, yeah. Like, that was a huge success huge. story, right? And, I mean, he became part of the family, right? Well, what it was, we were going down on, uh, on uh, what do you call it, Street, Fremont Street, mm-hmm. and we ministered all the time. And make a long story short for those who've never heard that it. That was a cool ministry. Yeah, yeah. Your mother and I was walking down one night, and it was a night that they were, the mayor was doing something big. He was... He was un- he was uh, putting on display all these light things that he'd put up, and there were thousands of people on Fremont Street. It was packed, and your mother and I were walking along praying, God, is there anybody where to help down here? We saw a, a girl look like she's a prostitute, and she was young, and we tried to help her, and it didn't work, and we kept walking, walking, and finally we walk uh, down the the Fremont Street there, and we see an old man sitting on the wall. He looked to be in his seventies, and he looked really pathetic. He had no shoes on, and his ankles were swollen, and he was sitting there. And he was dressed pretty clean beside that. And my wife said, look at that man over there. I said, yeah, we need to go help him. I said, oh, let me go over and talk to him. And I went over, and he was looking down, and I said, hi, what's your name? And he looked up and said, Ted, put his head back down. I said, Can, are you hungry, Ted? He looked his up, and he smiled at me. He said, no, I'm not hungry. Head back down. I said, can I help you uh, get a room for the night? And he looked up, smiled real gently and said, no, I'm fine. And so I tried my best, went back over to where your mother was at. And she goes, Ron, won't he let you help him? And I said, no, he won't let me. And she says, Ron, you got to do something for that guy. I said, Debbie, I tried. What else do you want me to do? She's Ron, right now while you're talking to me, he's looking at you and he's got this really compassionate, pathetic look on his face. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back. I said, Debbie, I can't. I already tried. God closed the door. We 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 left and probably 10 minutes later got into our car and we got out of the parking place that we had and we started driving down the road. She says, Ron, we got to go back. I said, well, you got to go back. Mm-hmm. God's saying you got to go back. I said, Debbie, I want to get a parking place. You know how many thousands of people are down here? And so finally, I said, I'll tell you, I'll do what I'll pray right now. Father God, if I'm supposed to go back, give me a parking place. I'll circle the block one time. Somebody pulled out of the best parking place hmm. in that whole place. Pulled out just as I came around, so I took it. And I went back, making a long story short, we were able to get into this man's life and help him, put him in a room, start giving him money. Then we found out that his family were Christians and they had been praying for him for like a decade. Mm. Thought he was dead. They knew he went out in the street somewhere. They didn't even know he was alive. Had been praying for him. We were able to restore him to his family, mm-hmm. restore him to a walk with Christ. Mm. And... He went back and spent his last days with his family, married his sister-in-law, his brother died, married her, had a fabulous life. Even after that, he would come up and see me at church when I did see him and start crying and say, what caused you to take me off the streets? So crazy. Yeah. So there's and that a story. Might be, and that might be one in a hundred, but is it worth it? For that? Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah, And his absolutely. family, they absolutely. were ecstatic yeah. when they said, he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, he's alive. Yeah. And he's well, serving the Lord. So we have to fight cynicism with stories like that, you yeah. know? Well, you also got to think about it too. You know, maybe the foster, I don't know how much of, of a percentage that makes up of the homeless out there, but nobody goes into that kind of lifestyle because they want to. Something happened, you know, whether... You know, this person's a criminal and, you know, they can't do this. Okay, well, what made them a criminal? What was their home life like? Because that's been something that God has opened my eyes up to is, you know, let's say my kids, um, they lose both my wife and I. And, well, now they've got a chip on their shoulder. And so why would going to school matter? Why would, you know, their parents are gone? You know, why would following the law you know, like they're, they're, they're parentless. My, my daughter's never going to be able to go to a father daughter dance. My son, you know, there's reasons why people act the way that they do. Oh, well, they're just a drunk. What makes them drink? Right. You know, there's a reason behind, yeah, yeah, some sort of, yeah, because even with, oh, they're drug addicts. Look at their teeth. Look at their skin. Something caused that. But even as deep as those wounds are, I'm just wondering how many people out there, homeless people, might have the uh, the will, the courage to fight back 
if they knew somebody in this world cared about cared them. about them just somebody cared about right. them. i feel like i feel like we're losing compassion a little bit in the church these days like i feel like we're kind of going as a, as a whole not our church necessarily but as a whole i feel like we're kind of getting more involved in other things like politics or whatever and oh, I, I understand that politics right. have something to do with it but uh I, 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 that, that compassion, it's just so easy to be cynical. It's so easy to, to think, you know, um, in terms of, uh, bigger policies and things need to change, right. but, but that, that compassion of just looking at somebody and smiling, I mean, I, I'm being reminded of doing that again. And, um, you well, know, we might've also been misled thinking the only opportunities we have to help are when certain programs put something together. Right. Sure. Yeah. Instead of right. taking it in our right. own hands and right. saying, I can do this by well, doing this. The, our church has serve week coming up, right? Yeah. And there's all kinds of projects that uh, are happening. Whether you have exciting. money or you don't have money, there's yeah, a way for you to serve. Absolutely. And it's so cool because I know like we were talking about with resources, sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't have enough to even, I, you know, but there's also other ways that you can serve in a way that you're making a difference in people's lives. And God's already huge. anointed me for serve week and it's no coincidence. Oh, I'm so excited. For Vince this. and I were talking and it just so happens. I said, I have this message on serving and I'm all excited about it. And Vince says, that's crazy. Cause I didn't mm -hmm. know this. He says, we start service week, June 11th on June 11th. And you're preaching. You know, it's yeah. cool yeah, if you're listening cool. and you're another state. I know if some of you guys are in Florida and Texas and we appreciate all you guys, I I'm giving you a shout out for all the ones I, I recently have just read. Um, but you can be a part of our serve week because we have these yes. these challenges during the week that are we're calling them our social media challenges along with our local challenges. You're more than welcome to fly out here and join us on our local challenges. But on social media, we have these challenges that you can do weekly um, or daily that will impact your communities. And so check out serve week and June the 11th to the 18th. And the yes. idea isn't just to serve one week out of the year. The no. idea is to change our mindset. Change our mindset. Right? Yeah. And and be um, the the I mean the church is called is referred to in the Bible as the body of Christ. Yes. And I know we use that term a lot, but when we actually think about that as we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his, his being mm -hmm. like, and he doesn't have a body here. He has us, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. We are his body. And so um, when we're going out, you know, it, it is, it is important yeah. for us to think like I may be the only part yeah. of Jesus that somebody sees today, you know, and, and not, not, you know, shouldn't, the, shouldn't the church's shouldn't the church's major be on love? Yeah, that should be the major. I think so. Yeah, uh, and you're going back to so. before we get off this topic too far. Let's talk about uh, Tom Hollenbeck's father-in-law. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, I like to think that we made a huge difference, or God did through us a big difference in His life. Mm -hmm. David was uh, 18 when I met him, and he was pretty much forsaken by everybody around him. Mm. And he was a kid that was living in vacant houses, living wherever he could live, good-looking kid, very popular with the other kids at high school. And one thing led to another, and he tried to take his life. And he was in the hospital, and he was on all of the uh, life-saving equipment. And they pretty much told me when I found him in the hospital, and that's a whole other story how I found him. God wanted me to find him. And they told me he would die. He would not live. I think he took 98 pills or almost 100 or something. Anyway, making a long story short, which I like to do, uh, we ended up praying for the boy, and he ended up making a... It was a miraculous recovery because the very Sunday, I had the whole congregation stand up and stretch their hands toward the hospital he was in, and I, I, I called out his name. That is almost the very hour that he came out of the coma. Mm -hmm. And Well, talk he, about a difficult upbringing. Oh, gosh. Oh, I, very, I, I very don't get too personal and talk about it, but yeah, everybody deserted him in one way or another. Yeah, and you know what it was is after a couple suicide attempts, uh, he was in the hospital at Kern Medical Center, and he had a, a core team of doctors that were going around that day evaluating all of the different cases, and I was there that day. In fact, I was the one that was with him in the hospital during all these things. He didn't have a mother there, a dad there. It was me. Uh, he felt loved by somebody, and it was me, this stranger guy. And so anyway, as the doctors went around one day, they had a clipboard. Three or four of them went in, and they started praising him. They were going to uh, put him in some kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Some kind of program, uh, program yeah. or, or uh, they, they, Hospitalization fact, program. They, they want him almost locked up yeah. until he was uh, another year or two old. I think maybe he was 17 then. Right. They want him locked up. And so they evaluated him. I was standing outside, and the, the, the doctor that was in charge of this team came out and says, okay, pastor, what do you want to do with him? 
And I said, what do I want to do? I said, I have no legal right. I didn't ask you if you had legal rights. What do you want to do with him? Mm. I said, well, really seriously, I, I like take him home. I said, uh, in my mind, all this kid needs is love. Everyone's deserted him because they want to put him through all this mental stuff. And I said, no, I don't think that's what he needs. He needs love. And so this doctor told me, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let him go home. I'll let, let him go home with you. But first I want you to go in there, write a letter out saying that you will take full responsibility for whatever happens to this kid because he seems to want to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And so I went over and I wrote a little letter out and handed it to him. He said, oh, no, that's not good enough. I want you to know that you're going to be fully responsible for what happens to this kid. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote out a longer letter, gave it to him. And he said, okay, take him. Now, the other three doctors were going, no, we don't think this is a good deal. We don't think this is good. So I got David. I said, get your bag of stuff. And I said, don't look back, buddy. Let's walk fast for the door before they change their mind. Mm-hmm. I took him home. He even asked me one time to change his last name to Vietti. He wanted me to adopt him. And so we went through another suicidal thing and on and on and on. All I can say is that the boy at that point in his life, he just needed to know that he cared. Someone cared for him, mm-hmm. that he meant something to somebody. Yeah, That's all he wanted. And yeah. we saw this stranger pastor guy that said, I will choose to love you. Mm-hmm. He ate it up. Yeah. He yeah. ate it up. He even liked it when I got on to him and yelled at him at night, told him to get his life together. That was a form of love to him. He well, wanted I, that. I remember growing up, we always had somebody in our house that, <laughs> you know, we did. I mean, yeah. that was always that was, somebody. That was our lifestyle. Uh, but, I had bunk beds in my room and there was always somebody else, a teenager <laughs> uh, sleeping in the other bunk. And, 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 you know, it was a little awkward, but it, it was good. It was. I good would to, go out somewhere and bring a kid home with Our, our mm-hmm. doors were wide open and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And Dave, you and Dave are still close to this day. Very close. Yeah. Oh, man. Right. We, still, we are bonded at a level. I mean, I feel like he's a son. Yeah. One of my sons. Wow. And we, we will always be bonded because I was there with him through three suicides. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, when he was in a coma and he came out of it, he didn't ask for mom or daddy. He said, I want Pastor Ron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then Sean Newsom was another one. Remember Sean? Yeah. He was foster kid yeah. in our home. And this kid, I mean, uh, after he left our home, and that's another whole set of circumstances I don't have time to explain, but he grew up teeth all knocked out, went to jail, drank, and God uh, saved him, brought him back in mm. our life. And and I watched a kid go from uh, a little a thug, criminal, to now he's a professor in college. Mm. And to this day, you know what my name is? Pops. Mm-hmm. Writes me every week. Pops. That's cool. Hey, Pops, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Hey, Pops, what do you think about this? And so we did bring a lot of kids in our life. So um, uh, another thing that I remember growing up, uh, and actually when I was a little bit older, um, when I was working at the church, I was an adult, we would go to Mexico and we would go to, uh, we went to El Salvador, we went to different places and uh, you guys went to Brazil right. um, and, and did these mission trips, these kind of, uh, you know, covert going in, talking to people that were doing the work, supporting them. Um, and then we would like, I remember in a little, little beach town called Mulahe in the middle of Baja, California on the Cortez side, uh, I remember walking around and going to different villages and just talking to people. Mm-hmm. And we had an interpreter, of course. But uh, I remember this one old man who, uh, in order for them to go to the doctor, they had to, uh, they didn't have a car. They had to get on a bus and they had to, to go take 70 miles. There was no doctor in All the community. way to uh, Loretta. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't no, even Loretta. It was, it was La Paz, uh, I think. La Paz. It was La Paz. All the way down by Cabo. Mm-hmm. And so they had to take like a like a bus for, you know, hours and hours, slow, slow moving bus. They'd have the money to do that. They had to take work off to do that. They had to do, like, it was a big deal for them to go to the doctor. And I remember this old man had a knee issue. And I remember, uh, you know, there's, I remember the, the setting perfectly because they had a ra- raccoon on a leash, uh, and, and, and it almost bit you. I was kind of playing with it and they just, you know, it was crazy rabid raccoon, uh, that they probably were going to eat later, but, uh, it was just sitting there. Right. And, um, and I remember just praying over this guy and he was like my knee, he was telling us that his knee was messed up and he couldn't work and he was trying to, you know, get better so he could fish. He was a fisherman. And, um, I remember after we prayed and prayed for the guy. He started moving his leg. Totally healed and on the then, spot. And then he started jumping, dude. He started <laughs> full. This older 65-year-old guy started full-on jumping up mm-hmm. and down like I am healed. Like I was like, wow, this is this is and, how it works. And he gave us mm-hmm. the money back. This We'd already given him money for a bus trip to La Paz. Yeah. He gave it back. Yeah. But Josh, you know, mm-hmm. for people that don't believe miracles, I bent down and I had other pastors with their hands on me. I had my hands actually around his knee. Mm-hmm. 
And I felt it when we started praying, it started popping like popcorn. <laughs> you could feel the joints or mm. something going back into place. That's mm. and God and we and that's only one of probably thirty stories and, and, just like that. And I love it because we weren't in front of a congregation. It wasn't a show. It no. wasn't like no. we're gonna heal this person. You know, it was it was in the middle of nowhere. It was a poor community, but the hardworking community, respectful community. They were thankful that we were there. It was super cool. Um, and uh, Miguel, Miguel, uh, I still run into him sometimes. <laughs> he, a guy from Bakersfield, he moved down there, yes. moved his family yes. down there, yes, moved down there, and and became a permanent uh, missionary down in Mexico. And I know people do this, but it still blows my mind that people just do this. They fall in yeah. love with the community because God loves this community. And um and and just the the work that we did down there was really cool, man. It was and it was fun. It was one of the most fun. Josh, I'm feeling uh, prompted right now too. to say, Father God, if you want us to run into Miguel, bring him around again. Yeah, I need to talk to him. He comes but, to the church. Uh, but sometimes. Josh, you were raised and you saw so much. I think that's why you have a hard time walking away from it today. You already can't. Well, you've I, seen so much. Yeah, I mean, there's the institutional side of church that I have a hard time with um, right. a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, I, we had, I had a talk with somebody the other day about this. I can't remember who it was, but we were talking about how basically walking away is giving up on something good, right? Like you can't right. walk away because right. there's something wrong, uh, with the, you know, organization you're involved in. If your right. organization <clears throat> involves people or it involves any type of, pol- like there's going to be problems, yeah. right? But you, instead you stay, you stick around and you try to help. You try to get, right. you try to make it change within yeah. the, within the thing. And I think yeah. we've done that over the right. years. Well, I, you know, days. Jesus, yeah. a lot of people, you know, in the old t- or in the new Testament, you would, you know, the Jewish people kind of felt like Jesus walked away from what they were trying to do in the temple. Right. But Jesus never walked away from the people. No, he was always with yeah. the people and that's huge. And that's what the church should be. We, we, we should exist to never walk away from well, the one people. of the things that Jesus says that, that I still am trying to wrap my mind around he said i did not come to abolish the law i came to fulfill it mm-hmm. and so i think when he was saying that he's saying I, i'm not i'm not walking away from the tradition mm. i am here to complete yeah. the tradition i'm here to be to show you guys that it's not broken that it is of god because you know the church is always changing it's always it's always morphing into something new but at the end of the day you're right like we are simply the body of jesus right the body of christ and we are called to serve serve the people around us, and and that in turn really ministers to us. Like when I think of Mexico, I think of the guy that got healed. I think of a couple other people that we make made connections and relationships with down there. But ultimately, I think about the bonds that we had together. I think about yes. Vince get Vince getting stung by a bee, Thanks, man. and he's and he's allergic. <laughs> and I and think of the the painter, the doctor, comes, he was the a doctor, doctor who is also a painter because you have to have multiple jobs, right? He shows up and pulls out the biggest needle you've ever seen and and pokes Vince in the butt, and we're like, okay, is he gonna die? Is he not? By the end of the night, he was fine. He was a little loopy. And he had, but... he had overalls on with paint all yeah. over him, mm-hmm. and he comes in, and of course, it didn't help any. Right. They have, they pull Vince's pants down to give him a shot, <laughs> and we're taking pictures with our phones they were, just rapidly. Yeah, I don't know where uh, those pictures ended up. But Vince up, but. and I talked about this uh, yesterday. It's before internet. Uh, because when we were doing all these Mexico <laughs> missions, and, and we I would love to do them again. It's just so violent down there now. We're, we're trying to, you know, really look at the environment and the well, culture. You have a, when you, when you make it, when you have an official... Uh, and I've been to Mexico yeah, since, right. but when you have an official church sponsored thing, you have to be careful because you're you're basically telling yes. the people it's safe, and we don't know. Yeah, it's so, not well, and, 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 again, and we've been told by the locals, the people that we know down there, not to come, not to come, don't so, come, say don't come. But you know what? What I was telling Vince, and I, I said this in the pulpit when we were sending teams down there on a regular basis, I said something. I said I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I love the Hispanic people down there, the Mexican people. I love them, love them, love them. But I care more about what happens to our people when they go down to minister than I do that what really happens on that trip as far as helping them. And I said, because if our people will see that when they go down to help, it is so uh, anointed of Christ, it is, it is so self-fulfilling. When they get 
this this passion for serving. They'll do it the rest of their life. Yeah. It won't just be a one-time trip. Well, I've, uh, I've always been drawn to uh, anything that is helping a community or an individual, right? Mm-hmm. I've never been drawn to, uh, you know, soapboxes or, you know, big political moves right. or other things like that. Not that I don't think those are important. I do. I really do. And we can vote and we should vote um, based on our beliefs and morals. But at the end of the day, I how much more does an act of love do than an act of, you know, rebellion or an act of, you know, we're going to, we're going to fight against you. I mean, when Paul wrote about our enemies, who did he say our enemies were? Not Mm. flesh and blood. It's not people. Right. It's the powers behind. It's Mm -hmm. the forces behind that. It's the demonic forces. And when you're, when you're loving, when you're giving, I mean, it's almost like God gives you, he gives you all of his, his heavenly forces with you. you and, and you see miracles happen because you're doing something good in his name, you know? And there's something so satisfying about it. Again, you know, back in the Garden of Eden, you know, Adam, body, soul, and spirit. And when he sinned and that spiritual connection was cut off, there's an empty hole where the spirit's supposed to belong in our heart. And we try stuffing it with, with sin. We try stuffing it with drugs, with pornography. We're trying, we have an itch that we don't know how to scratch it. Yeah. And it's only satisfied through Christ. But, well, but when I was in the hospital oh, a few years ago, I was walking down the hall and I walked past a room and I heard, Dad! I thought, somebody's mistaken me for their dad. And I went back and here's a foster kid I only had like for three weeks. Wow. Years ago named Eddie. And he saw me. Hmm. And, and, that was such a, a small frame of time. Three weeks I made that impression on that kid. He called me dad when he saw me walking That's down crazy. the hospital corridor. When people are on their last leg, I don't imagine they, they don't say, I wish I would have made one more dollar. Or I wish I had more stuff. I would imagine that they would say, I wish I could have helped more. I wish I could have loved more. Um, you never hear somebody, you know, um, we make these, we have movies um, about just these people that have just poured out their lives to just helping and saving others. And you don't hear, I I can imagine they don't have regrets about, well, I helped too many people Mm -hmm. or, you know, I I didn't, I should have just saved some of that money for to give to my, like, it's like, no, like they never have those regrets. And that's what you're saying in that whole, it's like at the end of your life, you're not the thing that's going to matter is what, what we've done. You want to leave a legacy of these. Yeah. My my daughter called me today, this morning, and they're really active in foster care ministry. They're a very missional minded church. She says, Dad, and I didn't even know this was possible. She said, we have a 12-year-old pregnant girl, 12-year-old pregnant girl mm-hmm. who has nobody. And, 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 and my mind just started spinning. I mean, I knew you get pregnant at 13, 14, 12-year-old was kind of young. But what I want to do, and I always want to do this with our podcast, I want to go around and give a little bit of instruction mm-hmm. here, turn a corner. But, uh, you know, what can we do? Number one. Join a good church, a missional or mission-minded church. Because, you know, if you do, like I think we're one and our Vegas church is one. And, of course, uh, Atmosphere down in Thousand Oaks is one. Mm -hmm. When you do, we can pool our resources together and we can actually make a big difference, Mm -hmm. a big difference. Mm -hmm. So find a a good church, uh, a missional-minded or mission-minded. Find a, a people group that you're passionate about. You don't have to be passionate around about... Let me, man, I'm getting tongue-tied here. You don't have to be passionate about every every people group out there. Maybe you have a special uh, burden for foster kids, mm. a special burden for homeless, mm-hmm. a special burden for uh, single moms, uh, a special burden for the elderly. Now, there's a group that's totally yeah. forgotten. Mm. Uh, find a, 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 a people group that you're passionate about. And then either join a group that's ministering to that group that you're passionate about, or maybe start something. Yeah. Find creative ways to help them. And once you start, be consistent. Be content by being a team player. Refuse to die without a legacy. I've written all these down. We could talk about them. We don't have time. And then when you find your people groups, just realize that I might be giving my life in a way of ministry to this group for the rest of my life. I might not change. People come into our church and they have a, a burden like for missions. And then we didn't even start talking about our orphans over there. We've got uh, 500 yeah, orphans we're responsible yeah. for who have names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
There's more. There, is it wasn't wasn't Christ's words so important to us in today's culture? When back in the day, he looked and he he had compassion like shepherd for sheep, and he said, "The harvest is so ripe, but there's so few laborers." Mm. You, you, can you feel his heart going? Please pray for laborers to enter the harvest today. There are more needs than we know mm-hmm. how to even begin to deal with. But I think we have to go back and make our churches say our major is going to be in loving others. When I preach on the 11th and really get into Isaiah 58, we're going to see that we should be majoring on this mm. more than anything else we major on, loving these people that have no one else to love them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how we end that. I mean, I, I was going to talk about each one of those I, points. No, it's I, a, I, I do want to add, because one of the points uh, you talked about, just like the thing that you're passionate about, it was really cool. We got to sit this past week, Tom Hollenbeck, I think you were in that meeting, um, with a guy from our church that out of something that he went through that was hard, um, Scott Winkler, I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this, but he went through a hard thing where he lost his son in a fentanyl overdose. And out of that, through being able to be healed through the church and through Christ and what has happened, he started working with these organizations to um, basically provide ways that these people that are addicted to fentanyl and drugs. Well, he's can, healing, right? He's not healing. healed. Yeah, yeah, but right. Healing. Sure, that's yeah. the, right. the healing process. And the healing process. But in his healing process, he started. To, he wanted to make a difference and impact. Yeah. As he was impacted, he knew there was others, uh, parents out there that are dealing with the same thing with their. And so he's like, I can make a difference. And, and through, the, so the reason through I said hurt, that wasn't. I wasn't trying. No, to no, no, just, no. You're right. Yeah, that was good. Um, through all of that he was able to go and make an impact. So you always talk about mad uh, mothers against drunk drive, like through that pain and the hurt and the thing that went through, they were able to do something good. And so there you might, you might have a need that as us as a church, as a local community might not even know about yet. And we would love to back you on the thing that you, we might, we might not even, you might be in foster care right now. Come talk to us. We want to back you up. You might um, be doing things with the, come talk to us. We want to back you up. That's why the church exists. We are a church that really wants to help. And and if we know the needs, we can help. Yes. And that's huge. And I think too, something that's a good resource, something that I started with was like sponsoring kids. And so going back to like our Africa ministry, there are kids that you can sponsor. There are families that you Mm -hmm. can get involved in. Like that's like a good safe, maybe start. Um, I just recommend that because that's what I did. I, I wanted to see if this was something I could commit to. And then just naturally as you engage with that community or, or that specific kid or that family, it'll grow and, and, and it'll turn into something else. You know, I, that's, that's kind of how it turned into um, taking care of like the, the homeless people that were around me. And then, you know, I need to give back and I need to try and I need to give and I need to raise my family to be giving. And, um, it's just something, it's okay to start small. I think sometimes yeah. people think that they need to take on the world right. and solve every problem, but just start small. Well, maybe even this would help someone out there. A lot of people are not in um, a place where they can bring foster kids in or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend this being done without a lot of you know forethought and training. But you can help someone else who has foster kids. Mm. Like, mm. and I, I wished I knew That's her name. Good. A lady wrote me the other day. She's in our church. She's a grandmother and has had five, four or five of her grandkids dropped off and they're in her care. The uh-huh. mother left them. Mm-hmm. And we should be helping that grandmother. Well, that's we should make sure she has food on her table. Yeah, single moms. Uh, there's uh, so many, you know. It, yeah. it, so, so again, what Tom was saying, you know, there's always something we can do. Yeah, yeah. We can pray for them. That's huge. Yeah. Or say, hey, you know, I'll... Uh, I'll drop some food off if you tell me where they live at. I'll, yeah, I'll right. do that. We can all do something. We're not all in the place where we need to be on a guilt trip of saying, you know, sure. I can't go to Africa. You yeah, know, I, I don't right. have the money to sponsor an orphan. Yeah. I can't bring foster kids in my home. You can do something, though, to help the rest of and, us who can. And, and right. ask God to change your heart and open your eyes. I, th- I think that, you know, that's that's key. I've been praying that lately, just like, God, help me to see you in in every yeah. in everything really but but especially the people on the side of the road like help me to have a, a more of a compassion and an understanding uh and 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 help me to know who to help yeah mm-hmm. well, what, what do most people do and i i was guilty of it for years and i still am somewhat when you watch tv and an advertisement comes on about the the hurting and the poor and the starving try to skip it we skip it real quick yeah. mm-hmm. but, but what is the reason why we do that i think and it's sad to say but a lot of these places who are putting up these pictures, they're not the real deal. Right, yeah. 
they're making money off of this. But yet, then when we go to, uh, uh, we go on a mission trip with our church or whatever, yeah. and we see these orphans for ourselves. Well, hopefully, people will understand the difference between yeah. our podcast today and other, you know, other outlets that basically ask. We're not asking you to give us money. You know no, what I mean? No, like we're yeah, telling you to no. go do it in your own community. Yes. And um, we're not sponsored by anybody. We're not doing no. this. We're not making money off of this podcast no. at all. Um, we're literally We doing might be this. losing. We might be losing. <laughs> it, but we might be. We're, but we're doing this um, yeah. because we do care about the kingdom. We want to build it. And yeah. and we know that you guys are the, you guys are the ones that yes. are building it. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to give people a guilt trip to make them give to some No, cause. not at all. Just uh, ask God for a heart change, yes. an attitude change right that's where it starts and find somewhere that you can give and help that's all we're seeing we have plenty of areas you can get involved in but we're not just selling our own thing here no a lot of churches have them just just go out there and help a lot of a lot of folks are listening out of town and you have your own community and um and you have your own neighborhood you have either needs around you and serve at the rescue mission if you have one in your city serve there once a week yeah uh so we have so much more we can say about this but I think we're looking at the clock and we're, we're, we're there. We're there. It's lunchtime. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this. We love you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bless you.